The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. If you're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. A breakthrough Saturday on Rocky Top when the song becomes more than an earworm tune. The ultimate redemption in a couple of places and the biggest upset in the latest Dumb Loses More Than Smart Wins series. You won't believe that one. This is the College Game Day Podcast for Monday, September 26th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here in the College Game Day Podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Lines, helping the world keep promises. Promises kept by Tennessee on Saturday against Florida. Promised that they would finally, after all of these years, having lost 16 of 17, that this was the day. They were the better team that they would fulfill that promise. It certainly was not without anxious moments. It was one of the loudest stadiums I've ever ever heard. But every time they didn't stop Florida on third down or every time that things didn't go their way, it would go silent, more silent than the normal stadiums because there was there was an anxiety that was palpable in that stadium, Pete, uh, on Saturday, waiting to see if Tennessee could finally do it. They did win in the most Tennessee fashion ever. They absolutely tortured their fans to the very final second, <laughs> like right to a Hail Mary being up in the air. And I, I mean, you could just imagine the palpable angst that rocketed through there. So we, we were lucky, Reese, to spend, uh, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday in Knoxville and uh, Rick Barnes, a basketball coach, told me it was the biggest buzz on campus since Baker Mayfield rolled through there. I think that was 2015. Mm-hmm. So you have that. You have 16 to 17 to Florida. And you just have a fan base that spent two decades angsty and wanting. Right. And this was the moment where they're at their crossroads and maybe they can make a turn. And so I, I just felt very good for that community leaving there on Saturday, like good for them for, you know, in, enduring all their demons and pushing past them and pushing past them and doing just enough to control Anthony Richardson and showing just enough muster on defense, which I still don't think is that great. But when you play offense like they do, you don't need an elite defense. You need a good enough defense. And they showed that on uh, they showed that on Saturday. And I know you spent some time, Reese, with Hendon Hooker on Friday. And obviously, I, I would assume impressed with him as a person from your interaction and also as a player. Very much so. I mean, a lot of times we're fortunate to meet these players and you get to see a different side of them, more so than just the jersey number on the field. Hendon's an older guy. He's 24 years old. He's been around college football forever. Um, I talked with him a little bit about his deep faith and the impact on how he goes about his life of that. Uh, He's written a book, he and his brother, and they're going to write a sequel to it called The ABCs of Scripture for Athletes. So he's, he's a devout guy who has perspective and he... He put up ridiculous numbers on Saturday, like, you know, I think, what, 461 yards, counted for three touchdowns, you know, huge numbers. But, you know, the moment, you know, as we sort of bullet point what stood out to us on the weekend, the moment that stuck, stuck out to me, Pete, first time they get the ball, I mean, they are clicking. They are moving down the field. They look unstoppable. He hits the, the tight end, Princeton Fant. They're deep in the red zone, and he fumbles. Florida gets it. And he he's distraught. You can see that that, you know, he's so frustrated with the fact that that he fumbled. 
Hendon went right to him. You say, well, so what? You see a lot of quarterbacks do that. There was a lot of anxiety in that stadium and on those sidelines on Saturday, and he was such a calming presence. I mean, he now he showed now look, he showed a little grit and attitude a couple of times when when people got rough with him, but he understands the moment. And that's as impressive to me as anything else. And I know people are maybe uh, jumping out there and saying he's the absolute Heisman favorite, and that's a reasonable take if you have it. I would say that he's that he's in the conversation, I don't want to talk Heisman necessarily, but he is he has established himself as one of the most dangerous players in America and the quarterback of a team that even with its flaws, which are noticeable and and serious on defense, they're dangerous. They're, they're dangerous to Georgia and before that in a couple of weeks, uh, third Saturday in October, they're dangerous to Alabama just because of the way they play. Yeah, well, that's obviously been Alabama's kryptonite is that type of tempo over the years. And there's a thought that with Alabama, Reese, that corner is maybe one of the bigger weaknesses. They don't have the speed at defensive back that they that they once did. But I guess my bullet point takeaway from our trip to Knoxville would be this. You step back and you go to a year and a half ago when you have the 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 spiraling tenures of both Jeremy Pruitt and Philip Fulmer. Tennessee's the laughing stock of all of college football, and they are an unmitigated disaster. And they're literally less than two seasons. I mean, it, it, the the quick work Danny White and Josh Heupel have done that tag team. Now, when Josh Heupel was hired, that hire was generally mocked. Because, oh, it's like, oh, he's hiring the guy from his old school. And quite frankly, UCF had taken a dip from early in his tenure when he started off like a rocket ship. So it, it's a validation of new leadership and new thinking and also a validation that Josh Heupel is a big time SEC coach and Tennessee is on the right trajectory after really being on the wrong trajectory for, for about 15 years. So. I, you know, being around Hypo a little bit this week, and I've got to know him some over the years, Reese, like he has the right demeanor for that place because it is a place that is subject to such wild emotional swings. And Josh Hypo is one of the most unaffected coaches, self-assured coaches that I've been around. And just sort of seeing him in that environment, that's the first time I've seen him in Knoxville. I have an appreciation for why that is such a good fit. So uh, my last bullet is just happy for that fan base. Ha they, have, they have gone through a lot. And happy that they had that moment on Saturday. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you they're going to beat Bam or anything, but they are relevant, they are vibrant, and they are fun. And, and on the subject of Heupel, here's a guy who, as the offensive coordinator at his alma mater, got whacked at Oklahoma, basically. Yeah. You know, he gets whacked there. He follows up Scott Frost, which seems to be an impossible task. That seems an odd thing to say now, but remember what Scott had done at UCF. He does that. And then he, he steps into, um, you know, the garbage dump fire that was Tennessee when he walked in and he's cleaned it up and put out the fire. And the fire metaphor, when I say they're dangerous to Alabama and Georgia, here's what I mean by that, Pete. They're not as good as either of them yeah. and they shouldn't win. But they're dangerous to Alabama and Georgia. And don't just clip out this bite and stop there. This is like when I was a kid. Um, my dad and I did something that is not wise, and I don't advise people to do it, but it was highly effective if you were careful. We had a charcoal grill, and rather than lighter fluid, because we kept gasoline in the garage to put in the lawnmowers and, and things like that, 
if you were very careful, you could put a little gasoline on the charcoal briquettes, let it sit there a minute, and then you were sure to get them going, get them going quickly, right? Now, we did this regularly without incident, but it could blow up on you, right? I mean, if you just if you just throw the gas on and chase it with a match, then you're probably going to, you know, wind up in the burn unit. That's what Alabama and Georgia have to do with Tennessee. As long as they handle it, they don't get sloppy. They don't they don't do something dumb to help them help them explode. They'll handle them. But if they're not careful, it might singe their eyebrows. That's what I mean when I say that they're that they're that they're dangerous to Alabama and Georgia. Shouldn't beat them. But you better be careful because you're playing with something combustible. Weekend Review is brought to you by Eckridge Smoked Sausage. Find them in the refrigerated meat aisle at your favorite grocery store to create one-of-a-kind sausage recipes. Eckridge, you do you. Another bullet point from the weekend is Adrian Martinez. Adrian Martinez's moment against Oklahoma, Nebraska transfer, playing for Kansas State now, 400 yards, five touchdowns. Kansas State is clearly sooner kryptonite. You know, it doesn't matter if it's Lincoln Riley or Brent Venables. Uh, the Purple Cats have their number. But remember Adrian Martinez in that very stadium last year. Led Nebraska to yet another close but no cigar moment. Most remembered in that game for throwing an interception on fourth down, not because he threw an interception, but because it was a superhuman one-handed, backhanded grab by D.J. Graham. Do you remember that pick, Pete? Oh, yeah. No, it was okay. the interception of the year by far and away. Interception yeah. of the year now. Not fourth down, but a third and long this time. And he gets out, and he runs, and he gets it inside the five. Didn't score on this run. The guy who had the interception, he had a one-handed attempt again on Adrian Martinez Saturday night. And DJ Graham got one hand on Adrian Martinez, and this time he didn't ruin his day. This time he ran on through him. Redemption. Very rarely do you get complete and perfect full circle of redemption, and at least for that stadium in that moment, Adrian Martinez had it for Kansas State on Saturday night especially when you remember how promising he started his first year at Nebraska has been through a, a lot of adversity. So as you, as you saw him kind of in that image bowing to the sooner crowd uh, <laughs> at the end of the game, that had to be pretty cathartic for him. And, uh, and look, when you look at Kansas state and what Chris Kleiman has built there, it, the, the ultimate compliment to them is they become Sooner Kryptonite. They are basically saying, we have built a tougher program than you, and we are going to go there, and we're going to dominate the trenches, and we're, gonna, we're going to, again, it wasn't like Oklahoma didn't move the ball, right? They, they moved the ball plenty. I mean, Dylan Gabriel had 330 and four touchdowns, and he was only sacked once. So, But they were going to be tough enough. They were going to get off the field, and they were going to grind them to the point where they're in position to win the game at the end. So credit to K-State, and it'd be interesting to see, you know, Brent Venables, this is his first moment of head coaching adversity a little bit. Now, Mike Houck, the excellent SID at Oklahoma, put out a pretty good stat. The last three times, I believe, that Oklahoma lost their Big 12 opener, they've won the Big 12. 
And so, and again, they've won the Big 12 pretty much every year <laughs> since Bob Stoops got there, right? So, yeah, yeah way to go, yeah, Mike. Gonna, uh, just like yeah. every other year, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, but it is, it is just, it was, it was uh, instructive to not overreact mm, right. to, to, to this. What was good about Oklahoma is still good about Oklahoma, but I do believe. I remember going into the season, it wasn't it Oklahoma's only like first team all Big 12 player was a punter? Wasn't mm-hmm. that the stat? Like yep. go- going into the season, this Oklahoma didn't seem to sizzle maybe like some other units, and they didn't seem to be as talented, in part because some of their most talented players are were playing on Pac 12 after dark uh to selective eyeballs on Saturday <laughs> night. So I uh I just think that like this Big 12 is gonna be fun, Reese, when you when you really look at yeah. it, because Oklahoma State is like the mysterious top 10 team sitting there at nine. We don't know a ton about them. I mean, Eastern Michigan beat Arizona State better than they did, but they, you know, Mike Gundy figures out a way to win games and his teams always get better. Baylor really showed up in Ames, I thought. I, Iowa State still remains some some measure of sooner kryptonite at the end of the day. And then there's Kansas. Who wants to play Kansas right now, right? Jalen Daniels. Like he, I haven't put a lot of thought to the Heisman, but he would have to be on my Heisman ballot at this sure. point. Yeah. Yeah sitting here headed into October. Like, why Why wouldn't he? He has single-handedly transformed a generationally bad program to being vibrant and relevant and has looked electric doing it. So, um, it, like, somebody texted me something the other night, like, West Virginia is probably the worst team in the Big 12, and they're not terrible. They're going to win a couple league games. Like, mm-hmm. so I just think that league, it's an interesting moment for them as, like, they're sort of – gauging their television value going forward and what they're going to look like for the next iteration. I think it's a pretty fun league. And now that could equate to them struggling to get a team in the playoff, right? When, if we mm-hmm. want to project it out further, but for now, for our week to week following an entertainment that there's, that there's gonna be some good ball played by good teams. And, uh, and, and it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be yeah, hard yeah. to separate from that path. And, and Oklahoma goes into another place that historically has given them some trouble uh, with TCU, but I do think it's different this year. It's not the you know the Gary Patterson defense. Instead, it's a team that's probably built uh, schematically a little bit more like what Oklahoma's accustomed to seeing in practice every day, or at least you know something somewhat similar to it, as opposed to what Patterson did when they played TCU armed with an iron skillet um, <laughs> after after beating SMU and winning that grudge match, which was uh, which was entertaining going in because the SMU folks. We're not happy. It turns out Lee Corso was right at the Dope Walker dinner, which we surprised LC with on game day. Fowler and Herb Street and Corso for yeah. years and years have hosted that event. Yep. And Kirk called me immediately after the thing. He said, you wouldn't believe LC. He said he was just like right on and telling him they had no chance against TCU. <laughs> it was like back in February. So we we pulled the pulled the tape but didn't tell anybody. Yeah. Kirby almost gave it away Friday because he didn't know we'd pulled the tape in the meeting. He goes, "Hey, remember?" And Gallero, Jim Gallero, our producer, and I were looking at him like, nah, 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 nah. and he he immediately picked up that we had it, we're ready. And Elsie uh, kept saying on the bus Saturday when we were sitting there watching games, he goes, "Well." They'll never invite us back to SMU. I said, "Yes, they will. You're Lee Corso. Of course, they will." You know, they it was a, uh, but yeah, good win for TCU. Before we move on, ESPN and Anscape contributor Dominique Foxworth has a new podcast every Tuesday and Thursday, bringing his unique perspectives on football, the personalities surrounding it, and just about anything else he finds interesting or thinks you might. So check out the Dominique Foxworth show. Listen where you're listening to this podcast.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's a bullet point? That's how we're doing these Mondays now. Bullet points from the weekend. What's your bullet point? Well, Reese, my bullet point is the uh, bullet sought through the NIL bag money in Miami on uh, on, on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> Just not only like, you know what this Middle Tennessee upset of Miami reminded me of? It, it had shades of Dunk City. Now, follow me. Oh, right? yeah. Like Dunk City, when they upset Georgetown, Florida Gulf Coast in the first round of the NCAA tournament that year, I, I will. I was there. I was lucky to be in Philadelphia that day. I will never forget that upset. Not only because they won and because they pulled the upset, but it was how they pulled the upset. So in that game, we're going to go down in the wayback machine for a second. Uh, Florida Gulf Coast had dominated the game. Georgetown cuts it to six or eight. You know, five minutes to go. The run comes. Everyone knows the run's coming. And they call a timeout, and they run an alley-oop, and Brett Comer goes to the free throw line, and it, one hand throws up an alley-oop, and some guy comes down the lane and just one hand crunches it like, like a dunk you've never seen. I stood up on press row because it was just like, you know, like the instinct of coaches, okay, we're going to run four corners and go to little, and then you know, Johnny's going to shoot a three. No, yeah. they were like, we're going to go in, we're going to take a machete, and we're going to slice their jugular. <laughs> and <laughs> – that is exactly <laughs> what Middle Tennessee did to Miami. So th- it was a wild game. I don't know how much of it you uh, h- how much of it you caught, but middle middle scores a touchdown, uh, and then Miami answers with a kick return. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, it's it's thirty one seventeen, right? And and there's you know we're in the, we're sitting here in the third quarter. Anything can happen, and Middle Tennessee ends up. Uh, Miami turned it over on downs. Middle Tennessee's backed up, but they're still the lead is tenuous, right? It's it's a it's a two score game, and they're backed up on their own two, and they run a shot play on first down down the left side, and they score on the shot play. Uh, it was just like it was uh, Chase Cunningham to DJ Engel Chisholm, ninety eight yard touchdown. It to me that was like they ran the alley you like they mm-hmm. saw their mortality, they saw their upset, and they said. We could either run the ball over in the B gap three times, get mall punt, put Miami in position to cut this to a one score game and, you know, have the the 9000 fans at the Orange Bowl rally. Right. <laughs> or we can go end this thing. And then they did. And then they gave up a kick return, which was great. It was just mad. I was like, I kept looking up being like, wait a minute. They scored. Wait a minute. They scored. I was uh, I was home in the afternoon and had the four box up on my uh, on my screen. And mm-hmm. that game was just like delightful dizziness uh obviously tyler van dyke got benched in that game which was just you know like like, it's the 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 mock draft industry christens talent (laughs) over production right yeah yeah so but but what a fascinating inflection point in the early tenure of of mario cristobal and i'll end my bullet point with this thought too often far too often we mistake like recruiting success and momentum for actual roster readiness to compete and I think that's happened a, a little bit here with Miami. Uh, totally agree. And I was I was keeping up with that game on the sideline of the Tennessee Florida game, and sort of felt the same way. You know, the first time I noticed it, I think it was twenty four to three. And you know, I, I will say this. 
think as the Miami program evolves, one of the things that Cristobal is going to have to look at, and he used the phrase in the postgame, man in the mirror, one of the things they're going to have to look at is something that also happened at Oregon. They had a tendency to come out and lay eggs. Now, oftentimes it was against a conference opponent on the road as opposed to being a home game against Middle Tennessee who got whacked, and I mean destroyed, by James Madison in the opener. So this is not some juggernaut G5 team. Good team, probably better than they played that night against JMU. But this is not a giant. This is a team that came in and was aggressive, as you said, and and knocked some holes in the momentum that they have going. And now it's incumbent on Miami to finish this strong because it's, it doesn't take a lot. You can get away with some things in the first year. Everybody mentions, you know, Saban losing to Louisiana Monroe and things have worked out okay for Alabama since then. But it doesn't take a lot. And it puts you in a tenuous spot. And losses like that erode confidence and momentum if you allow them to become like a 500 season. Miami needs to be better than that. And while I do think you're spot on 1,000% about the roster being ready to compete and win, and they're not quite there yet, they also shouldn't be a 500 team because they were they were play here, play there last year from being a 9 or 10 win team. So they can't let this get away from them. You saw an example of Texas A&M almost letting it get away from them, but not, and responding and, and pulling out a victory against Arkansas. Now, how how that goes the rest of the year remains to be seen. But it's really important because those, those games in a vacuum aren't a big deal. But if they escape that vacuum and become a problem in the program in terms of undermining momentum in recruiting or confidence or guys saying, am I really sure I want to be here? Am I really sure that you know, coach is on the right track for me? Uh, all of those things can, can really become a problem within the program if you allow it. And I'm going to be really interested to see how Miami responds. And I think the, the the thing about Miami is that you have to remember it again. I'm I'm not going to overreact to one first season loss, um, but I will I will say this: the same crew that was completely impatient and may have overreacted to oust Manny Diaz are still running things. Like hmm. Miami is almost run by a, 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 the the sect from that hospital. That, you know, it's like the president's office, chief of staff. They want a new Miami. They're getting all this money. They're going to be aggressive. And Marcus Boss, remember, you can you can come home and feel the love and get the big contract. But the same operating principles and instincts are going to be in place if you don't win big in the ACC, which Miami really has never done in the ACC. Miami has zero ACC titles since joining the league almost two decades ago. Miami feels like it should be more relevant and back and it, you know, all of a sudden it's interesting now if this Josh Gaddis offense doesn't take off like his early offenses at Michigan didn't, they will not have the same patience that Michigan had with Josh Gaddis. Mm -hmm. um, and really Josh Gaddis's last offense at Michigan was a Stanford offense that Jim Harbaugh and Matt Weiss brought in that he called. So mm -hmm. if the quarterback development isn't there, if there's a sense that Van Dyke isn't coming along like he should, which is obvious they pulled him. You know, here we are at an early crossroads of that place is not going to say, hey, give the coordinator a year to settle in. Like there could be some hard decisions being made at Miami because there is it does have that knee jerk reaction in in its DNA. And that might be, uh, you know, that might be a mistake. Uh, you have to show some patience. You have to allow 
guys to establish themselves without undermining them or feeling as if they're going to be undermined. And that is most notable with quarterbacks in my judgment, but it also extends to offensive coordinators. Now, if it doesn't, if it's not working and it's not within your, your philosophy offensively as the head coach, then you, you should make the move. You know, we referenced Josh Heupel earlier, you know, getting whacked at Oklahoma as the offensive coordinator. And there are those now I read on after the performance this weekend that would put him up there with Lincoln Riley for the title of the most astute offensive mind in the game. Um, you know, there are a lot of those who can lay claim to that from week to week, depending on how their offenses perform. But I think they need some patience. I don't think it's you know, I don't think it's debilitating as long as they confine it to the vacuum. As I said, they had a bad day. They played poorly. They were coming off a disappointment against Texas A&M. They took Middle Tennessee lightly and they did not live to tell about it. You know, so things happen. Now how do you respond? That's the that's the biggest thing. Yeah, that was a huge upset. That's not the biggest upset of the day. The biggest upset of the day biggest upset was the Missouri fumble going in to beat Auburn in overtime. And do you know why that was the biggest upset of the day, Pete? Why is that, Reese? Because dumb loses more than smart wins. And for dumb to lose with a Stanford guy, a former Stanford student, Nathaniel Pete, just letting go of the ball as he reached it when he was about to have a first and goal or score a touchdown and fumbling into the end zone and losing the game. That's, that's the biggest upset that this bastion of academia, well, we're Stanford people. We don't let people in. We have recruiting disadvantages. Oh, my buddy, Rod Gilmore is going to crush me for that little rant. Stanford man that he is. <laughs> we don't let people in. We're not of the highest. And you just, fumble the ball in the goal line, a Stanford guy, former Stanford guy being the subject of the dumb loses more than smart wins moment of the week is the biggest upset of the week. And look, obviously I'm tongue in cheek here. Nathaniel Pete is a brilliant guy or else he wouldn't have gone to Stanford and he wouldn't be at Missouri and all of those things. So we're having a little fun at his expense, I guess, unfortunately, but if you're going to have first down, that football must be riveted to your ribcage, Nathaniel. That's all I'm saying. And he's like, yeah, I'll compare my academic credentials to yours any day of the week, Mr. Podcast Host. Yeah, and I had a lot of empathy for Eli Drinkwitz, the way that game ended in regulation, Reese, because I thought he did everything right once they hit that shot play and got inside the 10. It was like 50 seconds left in that neighborhood. Auburn had most or all of their timeouts, and it was bleed the clock, win the game with your all SEC kicker, right? Like that, like to me, if you go by statistics and odds and, you know, look, people can roll their eyes at analytics, but there's a reason why those <laughs> those numbers form. I just, when Harrison Mebus missed that kick, I just, like, I literally like, like viscerally crit. It's like, oh, because he's such a good kicker. No, no, no. I mean, he had to know it was coming. I mean, Drinkwitz has has some in his background. He was at Auburn with Gus for a little while for a minute. Yeah. Right? yeah. Okay. So he's so he's been he's been in Jordan Hare Stadium, right? Funny things happen. Okay. He he knows that kick's not going in, doesn't he? <laughs> I mean, how many years how in a row he, did Gus play like eight wild games a year? <laughs> like he'd have a wild game with Alabama, but he'd also have a wild game with Jacksonville State. Yeah. Like it was it was an uncanny knack to 
to for that. You know well, what I mean? Even yeah, even last year, what they had, they had Georgia State at the end, pulled mm-hmm. that out at the end. But anyway, with with Nathaniel running to the goal line, a couple of things came came to mind. One was maybe you know maybe his sensibilities were heightened from his time at Stanford. He thought, you know, if I score this touchdown, they're going to fire poor old Brian Harson, and that's you know that's not really good. So you just and the other thing that came to mind is you know Pete from as our friendship and relationship has developed you know that i often reference uh the decade i spent in the studio with my yeah. great friend lou holtz sure and as uh, as pete fumbled the ball all i could think of was is what lou would often say when there was a fumble you know guy would come back to the sideline after fumbling and lou would go what happened son and he'd go well i you know i dropped it and lou would say well, what do you mean you dropped you you dropped it you didn't pick it up uh, hey, we, we had trust all week long. All we did was try to find a way to get you to football and get you to the end zone. And you dropped it. You didn't pick it up. That's like us giving you all of our money to take it to the bank. And you go, well, I dropped it. <laughs> you know, and I, I, and I, I apologize. I'm glad Lou doesn't listen to podcasts. Uh, Lou is a wonderful guy. And when you spend 10 years with him, you develop what you believe is a decent imitation, whether it is or not. But um, he, he would always say things like that. You dropped it. You didn't pick it up. And it was, I was, I couldn't believe uh, the way that, I, and I hate stretching the ball in that situation. Anyway, you're going to have first and goal KJ Jefferson of Arkansas. The, almost the same thing with the leap and the stretch. You know, you, it's that easy. That was a mind-bending game. Cool. I know. I mean, yeah, well, it's easy for me to say I'm sitting here, you know, yeah. in the comfort of my couch or the bus or whatever, watching games. And, you know, it's been 40 years since I was a horrible player. I, I've got empathy and appreciation for the difficulty and the, and the, the competitive spirit of trying to get the ball into the end zone. But you have to have some situational awareness, and stretching the ball is almost always a bad idea if it's not fourth down. If you didn't see, if you didn't see four on the down marker before you take off, it's almost always a bad idea. And it was in it was in both cases. It it turned the game upside down. That Arkansas might run A and M out of the place if if they score there, as opposed to. Uh, turning it from a potential 21-7 lead into a 14-14 tie. So, I mean, Arkansas A&M was just a a mind bender on uh, on, on Saturday. And Reese, I think your son summed it up the best. Correct? <laughs> he he did. I was I was traveling in after the uh, Tennessee Florida game, and I got a text from him. Basically, something to the effect: the first text was. I can't believe that just happened. And it was followed up by, of course, Joe Tess was on the call. <laughs> so the, the fumble when KJ Jefferson tried to stretch the ball and AM turned it into the 99 yard touchdown. I mean, that, that's the quintessential Joe Tess, Joe Tess moment, isn't it? First and goal from the three at the Texas AM three. KJ Jefferson rushed up the middle for no gain. KJ Jefferson fumbled. Tyreek Chappell recovered the fumble and returned 15 yards, <laughs> lateral to Damani Richardson for 82 yards. Like, that is not a play that you see every day. That is not a play you see every week. That is really not a play you see every year. And here's the thing about the lateral. It's a great sort of philosophical football discussion. You should never lateral until it works, right? Like, you can ask (laughs) Reggie Bush from the national title game. Like, it's a terrible idea until you have Damani Richardson streaking down the left side to, to completely change the complexion of a very important, you know, division game for you. So... 
it's I'm sure that yes, that is the version of the no, 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 yes uh, moment in uh, in college football that we see all the time in college hoops. And then they had the Arkansas had the field goal that somehow hit the top of the upright and was no good. And they ended up ended up losing the game. Rare is the September game. You, I mean, if a coach loses, you see a disappointed coach. Rare is the September game that you see a coach as distraught as Sam Pittman appeared to be in the aftermath. If he turned on a jukebox, as he's been known to do after a big win, if he turned on a jukebox after that game, it would be, uh, I don't know, something like, I'm so lonesome I could cry or Johnny Cash's Sunday morning coming down to sort of play into Sam's genre of music, I think. I mean, he appeared to be crushed. He said one thing. He, he was so crushed, Pete, that I'm not even going to uh, take a swing at the hanging belt high slider he left for me in the postgame news conference. He said something to the effect talking about, you know, Jefferson trying to extend the ball on first down. If you if they did everything you coached him to do, you'd be 15 and 0. Of course, now I immediately, you know, got my dander up when I heard that. But then I said, no, because it's like it comes off if you just take that clip as if he said, well, we coaches don't make mistakes, but those players do. But that's not what he meant. And I always try to give context what he, he was trying to uh, mitigate some of the some of the criticism that KJ he anticipated KJ getting from the media. He was trying to say that that people made mistakes. So I, so that shows that we in the media occasionally have discipline when we have that slider spinning right there. We got to say, okay, what was the intent of the pitch? That wasn't the intent of the pitch. So I'm going to be disciplined there. He was trying to protect his players, and I respect that. Um, but he could not believe that they lost that game. Not only from that play, but from the from the doing every summoning every bit of inner strength he had to praise the play of Max Johnson, and he wasn't trying to crush him. It was just like I can't. The whole the whole thing, the whole uh, overlying motif was how did we lose to them? That that's what I got from him. So now. I'm really interested to see he was trying to spin it forward a big game with Alabama coming. I'm interested to see what he sounds like on Monday because there's a difference in climbing the hill as Arkansas was last year when nobody really expected it. And regardless of what the betting line might have been on Saturday night, and I think they were a slight underdog. There is a weight that comes with being good, people recognizing, recognizing it and expecting some things, and that's where Arkansas is, and they didn't come through. So now, now how does that go this week? It's probably a good thing that they have Alabama coming in because that, that tends to help teams get over whatever happened the previous week. You win, and you certainly you never take wins for granted in the SEC, in your division, especially in the West, but all of a sudden they go to Mississippi State as a three-point underdog. And then they go to Alabama, where they might be a 23-point underdog. Maybe not 23, but probably 13-plus, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it could get pretty salty for Jimbo Fisher pretty fast. They have three straight road games, Reese, which you don't often see in conference play. I mean, I'm going to say often. I think you rarely mm -hmm. see that in conference play. Now, they have a bye between Alabama and going to South Carolina. And, uh, boy, this SEC, you see these schedules every week, and you shouldn't shake your head. But then they go Ole Miss at home, Florida at home, at Auburn, <laughs> like that's whew, like, is this team ready for that gauntlet? 
my, you know, the resounding empirical evidence is no. Max Johnson has given them a little jolt and they they figured it out. They they were smart enough to let Arkansas be dumb enough to use your analogy to lose the game. Right. Yeah. Like that was yeah. that was probably the the you know the, the compliment. And that's that phrase has come to me from more and more coaches this year. We're like, we're gonna play and let them let them hand us the game. Yeah. And quite frankly, Drinkwitz did that. He let Auburn hand him the game and then they didn't do it. You know, they didn't finish the job there at the end of regulation uh with the with the missed field goal. But that is uh so much of the beauty of college football is that oftentimes the participants are uh are not particularly proficient at their craft. They are actually amateurs at their craft. And mm-hmm. the, the 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 sideline patience it requires to not overextend those players, but let them sit back and then be opportunistic when others make mistakes is sort of a, a, a veteran coaching tenet that I think gets overlooked. But I, I just have heard more coaches mention that. Like, oh, we just waited until they handed it to us. And it's, it's sort of been a an interesting theme that's happened over and over again. You know, just control the game, manage the game, then strike when opportunity is given. And uh, I think we should wrap up with uh, with me admitting a similar type of miscalculation, albeit an informed one, going into the weekend. If you watch College Game Day or if you saw David Pollack on College Football Live or follow us on Twitter, you know that we had a disagreement over Clemson and Wake Forest. <laughs> I thought that um, I thought that Clemson would blow Wake Forest out, and for the first couple of minutes, it looked like that. I want to first of all let me let me not bury. Can the you lead. reveal the wager? I was wrong. Come on, yeah, you reveal yeah, the wager? absolutely. I'll reveal the wager. It was. Fun. I was. It was I was wearing. I was wearing a hoodie that Pollock would never buy because actually, I where I bought it, I didn't realize that it was as expensive as it was, or I, I wouldn't have either. But it's a it's a great piece of clothing. It's a nice hoodie. I saw it. Yeah. And uh, so at any rate, David asked me about it and he liked it or whatever. And David, David will spend more than $9.99 on an article of clothing. So when we were having this discussion about this, I said, I'll tell you what, if you're right, then I'll buy you a hoodie. But if I'm right, then you have to buy me a pocket square of equal value. Now, I love pocket squares to begin with. Mm -hmm. But but beyond that, I was going to take great joy in Pollock having to spend basically almost a hundred bucks on an accessory on an accessory because I knew that would just absolutely gall him. (laughs) So, so the line was about a touchdown and I didn't see what had really changed from last year. I know Venables is gone. I get it. But the same players were there on the, in terms of the Clemson defensive front, which completely controlled the game a year ago and the Wake Forest offensive line, which had like 100, 105 returning starts. But, you know, just because the same guys are coming back, if they're coming mm-hmm. back against the same guys that whipped their tails the year before, what's really going to change? And that's the one thing that I think it is rare to scheme around. If they just, if they just whip you, if you can't match up with them up front, what's going to change about that? And so that was why I was willing to double the line to Pollock because I thought that Wake Forest wouldn't be able to get Hartman enough time. Now, the caveat I did offer is if they do, that Clemson has some leaks in secondary, and obviously Hartman was brilliant, and Perry and the whole receiving, they were brilliant at that. Last year, Clemson sacked him four times in the first quarter and seven times on the game. They got him three times and really didn't apply consistent pressure on there. So I said all that, and all that breaks down to say this. Well done, Wake Forest. Prove me wrong. Yes. You got Pollock a decent piece of clothing. 
So congratulations <laughs> to them, even, even in the loss, a game they easily, easily could have won. And also a great job by Clemson to find a way to fight them off and, and to score more points than they did. There's a larger conversation about what that means to Clemson, what it means to Wake, for, for that matter, but what it means to Clemson um, in terms of missing Brent Venables, uh, in terms of having a new offensive coordinator, all of those times. But the, I spent some time, so I've got to give you this, uh, this analogy here. You, I think when people hear me say something like that, that Clemson is going to blow out Wake Forest, that, and even you're right or wrong, they say, well, you hate Wake Forest. I thought it was a bad matchup, much like oh, yeah. much like James Paxton, the journeyman uh, Major League Baseball pitcher who I believe is hurt right now, has been an, sort of an inexplicably bad matchup for Mike Trout. I think Mike Trout hits like, a, you know, 120 or something like that against, you know, there, sometimes there are just matchups that don't work for you. And that's what I thought the defensive front of Clemson and the offensive front of Wake Forest was a matchup that you just couldn't fix and you not much you could do about it. Just one of those things. I was wrong, man. Wake Forest uh, did it. And I think it, I think it calls into question what you might see from Clemson from this point forward. Yeah. And I think we'll dive deeper on Clemson on Wednesday. That's yeah. obviously our game day game this week. They're at this fascinating crossroads where they have the nation's longest winning streak, yet they're still an undercurrent of uncertainty, which is a high compliment if you can be uncertain at five in the country with the nation's longest winning streak. But but here they are. I'll, I'll wrap a bow on, on the wake conversation, Reese, by saying that a lot of my confidence in Clemson came from with my own eyeballs watching Liberty annihilate that very same offensive line in person the week before and Liberty went out and almost lost to Akron. Now they didn't lose that, but like Akron gave them a game on Saturday night. Now Liberty had their third string quarterback, but just college football is wondrously confounding every week. Like there are just, there is just some, just especially because of what you said with matchups, right? Te certain teams match up better with certain teams and others. And it's like, how did they, how did they, you know, how are they so close yet so far? All those questions are usually answered by how schemes mesh and execution of, you know, 19 year olds it's sort of what's makes what makes this game the beautiful mess that we love but sitting there after seeing liberty look pretty good against them and then just watching liberty toil around that <laughs> just shows you once once you think you know you know nothing yeah different team every week holtz used to say you never get the same team from one week to the next and it also uh my second final point because we just can't seem to get a podcast over with because <laughs> We we both what what is it? I said the, the subtitle of this podcast should be talkative and undisciplined. But yes. <laughs> but, uh, but it came to mind when I was doing the AP ballot this week that head to head always matters. It has to be huge. You have to give value and credence and honor to the result of the game. It can't be the be all end all, because if that were true, then that means I have to rank James Madison. Ahead of uh, you know, ahead of Appalachian State, who I have to rank ahead of Texas A&M, who I have to rank ahead of Arkansas, and the same thing could be said for Tulane. And you know, Tulane uh, ended up losing, I think, to Southern Mississippi this weekend after they'd beaten Kansas State, who just beat Oklahoma. So that's why people get mad. But if you say, well, you know, App State's not in anymore; they lost their second game. Well, then you're just grouping teams according to the number of losses, and that's what we said we didn't like before. So head-to-head -head always important, 
But the the beauty of having a different team every week and the highs and the lows and the uh, emotional readiness to play, uh, that's what makes it so fascinating, makes it so difficult to define uh, the upsets. And on the subject of upsets, uh, thanks to James Madison for the big rally and the outright win in the Superdome this rally. week. Whoa. Yeah, how about that? Whoa. What was it, 28 to 3? 28 to 3. They were mocking me in the group text for taking that as a super dog. <laughs> well, who's laughing now? Well, I live in a town where 28 to 3 has some uh, <laughs> residents. So maybe, maybe down in, uh, what is it? What town is James Madison in? My gosh, Reese. Harrisonburg. Probably, Harrisonburg. Harrisonburg. I wasn't yeah. say Williamsburg. Harrisonburg. Yeah. I, I, some, some crafty fraternity junior is printing up uh, <laughs> 28 to 3 shirts as we speak right now. And old Yosef is going to be on the ground looking like he had a little too much moonshine uh, <laughs> you know, with his beard in the in the dirt after getting run over. So what an emotional gauntlet that App State has gone through. They are like they are the most interesting team in college football this year. I don't think it's close just with that, the 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 tenor of their rally. Like just every game has been just a complete mind bend. And finally, wake me up when September ends. I'm not sure if you're an App State fan. If you like thrill rides, you wanted September to end because they gave you one, uh, good or bad, just every week, every week of the of the first month of the season. Uh, ESPN College Game Day podcast is three times a week. Pete and I will be here. We'll look forward to spinning it ahead and talking about this weekend's games on Wednesday. We invite you, encourage you, and try to persuade you to download College Game Day Podcast wherever you like to listen to your podcast. We'll see you on Wednesday.